Now for a time in God's Word together, I'd ask you to turn to the book of Numbers chapter 15 with me. Numbers chapter 15. I'd encourage you, if you have the opportunity to do so in your homes, to get out your own Bibles uh, and to look at the text with us as we go through it and as we read it together. Numbers chapter 15, here in just a moment, we're going to be starting in verse 30, let's see, 37, I believe. Numbers chapter 15, verse 37, as we continue to go through this often neglected Old Testament book of Numbers. And here in our uh, trek through the Bible and trek through this book, we come to uh, an often neglected point of even the book of Numbers, which itself is so often neglected. Now let me ask you this as we begin. How many of you, if you're like me, how many of you give yourself visual reminders regularly to remember to do something important, something that you cannot forget to do? You give yourself a visual reminder. I used to think in my office at work, that if I didn't have stuff laid out where I could see it, then I would forget to do it. Do you do this in your home sometimes? I do this often in my home still. Uh, You lay a piece of paper down because if you don't see it, if you don't look at it, you'll forget to pay that bill or you'll forget to do that thing on your to-do list. And if you're anything like me, again, pretty often, uh, that all all that stuff that you see, all that paper and all, all those things that are laying around, they become white noise visually, right? And you start to, to not notice them anymore because it's just faded into the background of what's always there. You don't see them anymore. How many of you have ever had this experience where you're cleaning and perhaps you're cleaning out something in your house that you haven't cleaned out in a while and you find this item that you haven't seen in years, some small item, some long lost item perhaps, and all of a sudden you stop and you stare And as you look at that thing that you haven't looked at for many years, all of these memories start flooding back and these emotions start flooding back. Has this ever happened to you? It's happened to me numerous times. And as we do that, we recognize the Lord has connected our memories to our senses. Oftentimes we'll talk about how the Lord has connected our memories to our sense of smell, right? Perhaps the the most Uh, often sense that is connected to our memory is our sense of smell. But also the Lord has connected our vision to our memory. And so he has allowed us to look at things and to remember things that happened in our past, to remember things that we're supposed to be thinking about. And that's the context of our text today, Numbers chapter 15. I'll ask you to read along with me in your copy of Scripture if you have it. I'll be reading from the ESV, perfectly okay if you have a different translation, but I just wanted you to know where I'm reading from. Starting in verse 37, this is the word of the Lord. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel, and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord, to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord, your God. Father, right now, as we seek to understand your word, we pray that you would open our eyes and open our hearts. And we pray that you would help us to see the wonderful things that are there. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So what's this all about? These tassels that God wants them to put on their garments. You know what a tassel is, right? It's that a little, little ball with threads coming down and hanging and dangling. And as these tassels were put on the corner of their garments, or perhaps the fringe of their garments, the people were to look and to remember. To look at that tassel and to remember. And I want to take both of those in turn. The message today is entitled, Look and Remember. Two very important aspects of this text that we're talking about today. First, I want to analyze why God had them look. What is God trying to do here? He told them to look. Now look with me back at verse 39, where God says, It shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord. And then he says, Not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. You see, we are naturally inclined to follow after our own hearts and our own eyes. We are naturally inclined not to follow the Lord, but to follow ourselves, to want to be our own masters, are we not? We all feel this. Indeed, this is a human predicament that goes all the way back to the beginning of time, to the Garden of Eden, where Satan was whispering in the ear of Eve, trying to get her to make a decision for herself. He was telling her, essentially, don't let God Decide for you what's right and wrong. Don't let God tell you what's right and wrong, what's good for you. You don't need him to decide that stuff. You can decide for yourself. This great lie of Satan, you can decide for yourself what's right and wrong. You don't need God to tell you. It's as old as time, this inclination that we have to follow after our own hearts and our own eyes. And also becoming a Christian is like this. Think about what becoming a Christian itself is all about. Becoming a Christian is all about turning away from yourself and looking to Jesus as your Lord, as your master, right? Turning away from ourselves, saying we don't want to be our own masters, our own lords anymore. We want Jesus to lead us. We want Jesus to be the Lord of our lives. That's what becoming a Christian is all about. Now what happens when you become a Christian though? Let's think about this for a second. When you become a Christian, as you are plunged under those waters of baptism, if you are doing so in repentance and a heart of faith, the Holy Spirit, the Lord says, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God himself, comes to live inside of us, right? And he makes us new. In Christ, we are new creations, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5. And God, as he is doing this, he is making us slowly but surely more and more like Jesus Christ throughout our lives as we are Christians. He's making us more and more like Christ. Slowly but surely, he's helping us to feel what he feels, to love the things that he loves, to hate the things that he hates. It's a slow process, but it's a steady process for those of us who have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. But while that is going on, we are still prone to follow after our own hearts and eyes instead of God's. You see, as the Holy Spirit has made us new, our flesh has not yet been redeemed. Anybody who's been a Christian for longer than, you know, about half a year can tell you this. Our flesh is not yet redeemed. Our flesh is still pulling at us in the opposite direction that the Holy Spirit is pulling at us in. There's a war going on inside of us. And so we need constant help to take our gaze, our visual gaze, away from ourselves and to place it on God and Christ. We need constant help in this because 
Our flesh is constantly pulling us away. The world is constantly pulling us away. Satan is constantly pulling us away. And so the tassels, here in Numbers, the tassels were there so that when people looked at them, it brought their focus back to their commitment to the Lord and His commandments. Of all the things that were pulling their focus away, it brought their focus back when they saw those things. And so what we need today is all kinds of tassels in our lives, things that will bring our focus back to the Lord, things that will reorient our hearts on God and take our hearts away from ourselves and put our our gaze, our vision, help us to look to Christ. And so what are those modern-day tassels? Well, let me give you just a few of them. Number one, I think the first and foremost one would be daily time in God's Word. I deeply encourage you to spend daily time reading the Bible. Every morning for me, every morning, is a chance for me to reorient my heart and my mind on the Lord, no matter how often it has been taken off the Lord the day before. No matter what the day before has brought, no matter all the failures that I've had, all the ways that I have focused on myself or focused on other things, my daily time in the Word in the morning is a chance to refocus and reorient myself and my heart on the Lord. Before I read the Bible in the morning, I pray Psalm 119, verse 36, which says, Incline my heart to your commands, Lord. Incline my heart. Why? Well, because our text here in Numbers rightfully says our hearts are inclined away from God. We are inclined to follow after ourselves. And so we need God to help us regularly, consistently, every day. We need God's help to incline our hearts to Him and not onto ourselves. What other tassels are there to help us focus on God? Well, think about daily times of prayer. Daily times of prayer. And I'm not talking just about times when you feel like it, right? We all pray little prayers throughout the day when we feel like it. But I would encourage you to have a set time of prayer every day where you pray during that time whether you feel like it or not. Why? Well, surely we are supposed to pray continually, as Paul says. Yes, I would encourage you to pray every time you have an urge to do so. But having a set time where you pray, no matter if you feel like it or not, it refocuses you. You see, we need this time of prayer to refocus us. When you're already having the urge to pray, you don't need to be refocused then. That's when you're already focused. But when you're not focused, right, that's when you need it. And so have that time of prayer when you pray whether you feel like it or not so that it can refocus you. It can turn your eyes on Christ. It can reorient your heart to God. Think about the weekly worship gathering that we're missing so much right now. The weekly worship gathering. Communion together every week is a perfect example of a modern-day tassel that we have to remind us to focus our gaze on Christ and His death on the cross. Communion's a perfect example. Singing and fellowship even. When we come together as the body of Christ, we are reorienting our hearts during that time every single week on God and on His Son, Jesus Christ, and on His Word, right? Even as we are reorienting ourselves daily, we reorient ourselves every week with the weekly gathering of the congregation. Think about weekly Bible studies, perhaps our Wednesday evening Bible study and prayer time, or our Sunday evening family prayer time that we have together. See, don't swallow the lie of Satan that says, oh, that's too much God stuff for me in one week. I don't need all of that. That's, That's too much God stuff for me. Right Now, brothers and sisters, that's a lie from Satan. I don't know about you guys, but I need all that I can get. 
I need every single minute of reorienting myself to the Lord that I can get. I need all that I can get because the world is constantly pulling my gaze away from Jesus. My flesh is constantly pulling my gaze away from Jesus. And so I need every single opportunity that I can get to refocus and reorient my heart and refocus my gaze onto Christ because I've got so many things pulling me away from it. Think about all the modern day tassels that you could institute in your life to help you constantly refocus on Jesus. Think about the music you listen to. My wife and I listen to podcasts regularly uh, when we're driving and when we're doing a chore at home or perhaps when we're exercising. It's a great way to reorient your mind on the Lord. Think about the pictures you hang on the wall and the art that you have around your house or around your office. It's a great visual reminder to reorient you on the Lord. Memorizing scripture is a great modern day tassel. Perhaps you take a verse a week and try to commit that to memory and you work on it just a little bit every day. And as that's going around in your head, it's reorienting you, reorienting your heart, turning your gaze upon Jesus and upon God. Think about the routines that we have. Our routines can reorient us on God and help us to look to him. Do you pray before meals? It's a great thing to do because three times a day, if you eat three times a day, you're praying three times a day and reorienting yourself three times a day on God, even if just for a moment. I think about the bedtime routine that we have with our kids. When we go to bed, it's time to read the Bible with our children and to pray with them, to reorient our family on the Lord at least once a day there. I would deeply encourage you, not only in this time of uh, you know, perhaps boredom for some of you, or downtime and quarantine, not only during this time, but even when this is all over, read good Christian books. Read good books that stimulate your mind and your heart and turn them toward God. Read books about the Christian life. Read devotional books. Read Christian biographies. They will help you reorient yourself on God. And a final modern-day tassel I would mention is journaling. Journaling. Journaling can be a great spiritual help if you do it in a spiritual way, focused on the Lord. You know, you take whatever happened that day, however God taught you something, or if God answered any prayers, or perhaps you, you failed God in a way that day, but you write down all the things that God is teaching and that God is working in your life. And it's a blessing not only to get it out on the page, to crystallize your thoughts and your feelings, but it's a blessing to go back and read it years later and to see all the ways that God was faithful, to see the ways that God was answering your prayers. You see, this is the Christian life. We are constantly fighting to follow after God's heart and not our own. We're constantly in a fight to do that. And we need to utilize every tool we can get our hands on in this fight. Now, thankfully, we have a Savior who was not prone to this. We have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who was not prone to follow after his own sinful flesh. He was constantly focused. Every minute of every day, he was focused on the glory of God. He was looking to God and his glory every minute of every day. And we are thankful that we have a Savior who did not struggle with sin in the way that we do. Yes, he was weak in the ways that we are, but he never sinned constantly focused on the glory of God. And in that light, Hebrews 12, 2 tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. 
As we examine this idea of looking, fix your eyes on Jesus, Hebrews 12, 2 says, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You see, we look to Jesus, but Jesus on the cross was looking ahead himself. He was looking ahead to the joy that was set before him, Hebrews 12, 2 says. And what was that? What well, was the joy of knowing after all of this is done, after all of the suffering, I will have accomplished salvation, full and free, to anyone who would come to me by faith. And so Jesus saw that joy, it was set before him, and it allowed him to endure the suffering of the wrath of God on the cross, to endure the punishment for our sins so that we could eventually be saved. And so look, brothers and sisters, look away from yourselves and look to God and look to Christ. Now second though, we're not only looking, we're remembering. Remember, look and remember. Look back at verse 39. This tassel, God says, shall be for you to look at and to remember all the commandments of the Lord and to do them. Verse 40, so you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. You see, we are not only prone to follow after our own hearts. We are not only prone to to take our gaze away from God. We're prone to forget God and his commandments. We are prone to forget him and his commandments. Think about the Israelites in the book of Numbers as we've been studying. Think about how prone they were to forget. How often have they already in the book of Numbers said things like, Oh, that we could go back to Egypt. It was much better back in Egypt. They're forgetting how horrible it was back in Egypt. They're prone to forget. How prone were they to forget how much God had done for them? The, the ten plagues and the deliverance from slavery in Egypt, the miracle at the Red Sea, the manna from heaven, they're so prone to forget God and his blessings. And notice what God is doing here in our text. Notice what's happening here in Numbers chapter 15. They have just rebelled. They have just rejected God twice over, refusing to go into the promised land, refusing to trust him. And then when he said, you will now wander in the wilderness, they refused to believe that. Right? They, they tried to go take the promised land anyway. They, they've rejected God and rebelled against him twice over. He has just sentenced them to 40 years in the wilderness, wandering so that this rebellious generation will die off. But what does this passage tell us today? This passage tells us, even in the midst of all that, he's still caring for them. He's still caring for them. He's still concerned about their well-being and their holiness. And he is helping them to remember even as they are forgetting so much. God in his grace and in his kindness and in his mercy is helping them to remember him even as they are so prone to forget and to rebel. Don't miss the tender fatherly care of God for his people here. They are so prone to forget so in his grace he gives them something to help them remember these tassels on their garments. Now perhaps in this season that we are in now, perhaps we have taken God's blessings for granted for so long. Perhaps we have forgotten for so long how good the Lord has been to us and how good the Lord is to us every single day. And now in this season, perhaps God is helping us in His mercy and in His grace. Perhaps He is helping us to stop and to remember And to appreciate all 
of his blessings. He is gentle with us. Even as we are prone to rebel. Even as we are prone to sin. Even as he could very well just throw us off and be done with us. Of all the times we have constantly forgotten him and taken his blessings for granted. He's helping us even now to remember. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 11 that he is gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. Did you know that's the only time in all four Gospels that Jesus says anything about who he is in his very heart? Right? It's the only time. And what does he say? What characterizes Jesus' heart above all things? Gentleness and lowliness. In Matthew 12, we read that talking about Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break. What does that mean? We. We are bruised Reeds, right? We are reeds that have been bruised, that, that, that could easily be broken off and thrown away as useless. And yet Jesus would not break a bruised reed like myself. He gently and lovingly in his mercy and his tender care nurses us back to health, to usefulness in his kingdom. That same passage in Matthew 12 says, A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. We are smoldering wicks, brothers and sisters. We, we are not lighting a fire as we should. And it would be very easy for him to cut us off and throw us out as useless. And yet he doesn't. He slowly breathes his oxygen onto us so that we might once again light a fire for his glory. He is gentle and lowly and patient with us. And so remember, remember why God brought you out of the slavery of sin. Remember. Look back at verse 41 with me. Verse 41 in our text. Notice what God says here. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Why did God bring them out of the land of Egypt? Why? To be their God. So that he could be their God. Don't miss this. This is God's heart for a relationship with his people. God desires a relationship with his people. And so he delivered the Israelites so that he could be their God. And he delivered you. If you are in Christ this morning, he has delivered you from the slavery of sin. Why? Why? Not so that he could make you well behaved. Not so that he could make the world a better place, although those are benefits. Primarily, he saved you so that he could be your God. Feel the weight of that this morning. Feel the Father's tender care. There's a refrain from God that goes throughout the Old Testament. If you read your Bible, you will see this refrain from God, this phrase from God over and over again in one form or another throughout the Bible, and it's this. God says, they will be my people and I will be their God. You you see some kind of version of that phrase over and over again throughout the Old Testament. And it even extends to the end of your Bibles. In Revelation 21, when John is talking about the end of all things, the very end of Scripture, he's talking about heaven. And John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne. Revelation 21.3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. The relationship that we were always intended to have before the fall. God 
saved us so that he could be our God. Again, feel the tender affection of God here. It's like he's saying, you are mine and I am yours and I have set my love on you. God is a gentle, loving, merciful father. And it's so rare for us to think of him like that, but that's who he is. That's who he has revealed himself to be in Scripture. And we need to feel that as Christians this morning. We need to feel that as his children. Now finally, as we close, I want you to see something in our text that goes throughout the rest of Scripture that we don't need to miss here. The corner of the garment. Did you see how the tassels in our text, the tassels were to be on the corners of their garment. right? And throughout the Bible, the corner of someone's garment is actually extremely significant. The corner of someone's garment in Bible times was seen as an extension of the person themselves. An extension of the person themselves. It's more than just a part of your clothing. It's an extension of who you are. And so, when David, King David, before he was king, was in a cave hiding out, and Saul, in the province of God, King Saul comes in, David cuts off the corner of Saul's robe. And later we read that David is pricked in his heart. He's convicted, and he feels remorse over what he did. Why? Because he didn't just take a little piece of Saul's clothing. No, he assaulted Saul himself. The corner of the garment is an extension of the person. Remember that great love story in the Bible, the book of Ruth. Ruth asks Boaz to spread the corner of his garment over her as a sign of love and commitment. In Ezekiel chapter 16, that beautiful chapter in Ezekiel, I'd encourage you to read Ezekiel 16 sometime. It's an allegory, a chapter-long allegory of God as a faithful God in the nation of Israel as a faithless bride. But in that allegorical story, God talks about a compassionate and wealthy man, the God figure, coming across a young woman who represents Israel, who has no one. And he graciously takes her as his own bride. How? By spreading the corner of his garment over her. You see, the the tassels on the hem of the garments would have been an identity marker because the hem of your garment was an extension of who you were. This was an identity marker for the people to say, I am God's, right? And we should understand this very well in our modern culture. We love identity markers, do we not? We love identity markers. How many of us wear hats or t-shirts that tell everybody what sports team we follow, right? It's an identity marker. It's telling people part of who we are, Right? There's all kinds of people these days who get tattoos on their bodies, permanent ink, to show people part of who they believe in their identity that they are. Right? Think about our profile pictures on social media. When someone looks at your Facebook picture, right? what do you want them to see? That's an extension of your identity. It's an identity marker. This is who I am. What do you want them to think the first time they see that? And so the Israelites... If you were an Israelite back then, when you looked down at your tassel on your clothes, you would remember, I am God's. And as I go through my daily life, I am supposed to represent God to other people. In my love for other people, in my holiness, in my personal life, in showing the fruits of the Spirit, I'm supposed to show people who God is. You would look and remember when you would see that tassel. And when you would look at someone else's tassel, You would think, they are gods. 
They're gods too. I've never seen God, but I'm supposed to see him in a sense in that person because they are gods. Well, think about this. Who is the ultimate representative of God? Who's the ultimate image of God? It's Jesus, right? Jesus is the ultimate image of God. And believe it or not, the corner of his garment in Scripture is significant. The corner or the fringe of his garment was also an extension of himself. And it was an extension of his power. Listen to what we read in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 20. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Why? She touched the garment, the extension of who Jesus is. She knew. She knew that that's what the hem of the garment was all about. She said to herself, if I only touch the fringe of his garment, I will be made well. Or think about Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 36. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all that region and brought to him all who were sick and implored them that they might only touch what? The fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. And so, brothers and sisters, what's the lesson for us today to take away from this obscure passage and this this weird tradition that God gives to the Israelites in Numbers 15? Look to Jesus and remember all that God has done for you. Look to Jesus this morning. Look to Jesus this week and remember all that God has done for you. Here in just a moment... I'm going to lead us in a time of meditation, a time of looking and remembering. You see, every single week when we come together in a typical way, when we come together as the body of Christ here at the building, we share communion with one another, right? We have a time of communion. Communion is looking to Christ and remembering what he has done, remembering what happened on the cross. This week we will celebrate Good Friday, Good Friday Why do they call it good? Well, because of what it means for us. But it was certainly not good for him, for Jesus. Jesus suffered and died on that cross. And so here in just a moment, Dwayne's going to help us out. and He's going to play some music for us. And as he does, we're going to take just a couple minutes. I'm going to be silent. I'm going to give you that time to meditate on Jesus and on the cross, on his body and his blood given for us. This might be a time where parents, you might get with your kids and talk to them about what we are thinking about, what we're remembering right now. Uh, Perhaps this is a time where you yourself might want to take communion with your family at home. You can certainly do so. Uh, But if you do not have any of those elements like bread and, and grape juice, you don't have to have the elements to meditate on Jesus. Yes, we, we long for the time, brothers and sisters, where we can come back together and take communion with one another as the body of Christ around the Lord's table. But for now, we have this. And so let's take just a few moments here as we end today and let's meditate on the glorious truth that Jesus died for our sins. Jesus gave his body and his blood so many years ago.
Amen. Once again, brothers and sisters, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a blessing to be united to you in this way, even as we cannot see one another together. We look forward to the day where we can come back together. Uh, until then, we will be here every week uh, doing this as we do. Uh, and we're so encouraged to be able to do this and, and to have you with us. Uh, let me pray. Uh, again, as I close us out, if there are any needs that you have, or any needs that your loved ones might have, please let us at the church know so that we can help in any way we can. Let's thank God for this time. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the, the blessing of technology right now and the ability to connect with one another in this way. Thank you more than that for your word and for the power that it has, for the strength that it gives, for the encouragement to our hearts as we are weary that it gives. Thank you for telling us who you are and for showing us your heart, your heart of mercy and grace and gentleness. God, you are our Father. and We are your children and we depend on you. We depend so much on you. We need you every hour, every minute of every day. God, we give you our lives. We give our lives to your Son, Jesus. Make us more like Christ. Help us to love as Jesus loved. Help us to live as He lived and to walk as He walked. And God, we look forward to the day where we can see Him face to face. Where You will be our God and we will be Your people in a restored relationship like it was always meant to be. We love You, God, and we thank You. I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ at their homes. I pray that you would bless them and protect them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.